welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. So today we are in the middle of our Advent teaching series that we are calling, Thank God You're Here. And over these four weeks, as we are leading up to Christmas together, this wonderful season, this exciting season, the season full of anticipation in all kinds of ways, we are exploring actually the Christmas story. And we're walking through all kinds of ways throughout this Christmas story that God showed up. Of course, ultimately, he showed up in the person of his son, Jesus, right? God himself coming into the world in human form, showing up in this ultimate way. But really, this story is so cool as we explore it through the pages of the New Testament biographies of Jesus. The story is so cool because God really does show up in all kinds of ways to all kinds of people. And so it's been um, an exciting journey for us over these weeks to explore just some of the ways that that took shape. And hopefully it's been encouraging for you to even over these last couple weeks and into these next couple weeks of Advent as we're kind of exploring what it looks like for God to show up, not just in the pages of the Bible, the pages of Scripture, but even in our own lives. Because He is and He does and He promises to to show up in all, all kinds of ways, right? Like even some of the ways that we've been talking about this so far. He shows up sometimes in the gritty places, in the gritty ways, in the unexpected places, some of those places that we wouldn't even necessarily think to look for God. No, but He even wants to show up there. Sometimes He shows up in the ordinary ways, right? Sometimes in the ways that maybe are mundane or just normal or everyday parts of life or part parts of our human experience. And he shows up there too. He wants to speak and, and reveal himself to us even in those ways. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, it's been really fun, hopefully for you too. And as we're growing on this, if you look to the side or wherever it is in the, play, in, in the site that you are, where we've got this banner, right? Where it says, thank God you're here. And we've been adding our sticky notes uh, to these banners over the last couple of weeks where we've been writing down really what they're probably more than anything, kind of like little prayers, um, little requests, and sometimes not so little prayers or not so little requests of ways that we're actually asking God to show up in our lives. We're saying, oh God, these are ways that I want to see you show up in my life this Christmas. These are ways that I want to hear you speak into my life. And we've been putting these things on these little sticky notes as kind of expressions of our heart's cry, right, for God to show up in our lives. But here's the thing. Even as we look, you know, if you're in person, if you're at church this morning, um, take a look at that banner. Look at all those colored sticky notes, all the requests that those represent. There are longings, our desires, the things that we're asking God to do in our lives, the ways that we're asking him to speak. But the truth is, really underneath every single one of those sticky notes, behind like every single one of those requests, is really another word. And it's another word that is very much an Advent word. And it's not only an Advent word, a word for this season that we celebrate every year as we lead up to Christmas. It's actually a word that describes much of our experience in life. And it's this, is waiting. Waiting. You see, because the Christmas story really is a story. It really is a story of this reality that God shows up, that God has shown up, that he has come through his son, Jesus, right? He's come into the world to be God with us. This is why Jesus came. This is what this story is all about. And that is beautiful and that is true. But it is also equally true that in one way, shape, or form, we are still somehow, we are still waiting for God to show up, aren't we? 
And the season of Advent, this season, these few weeks leading up to Christmas Day, this is actually meant to be a season that in some way, some very real way, is meant to help us to get a little bit more in touch with that experience too. That experience not only of excitement, of joy, of anticipation, of the fact that God really does and he will and he can and he is showing up, but that, that sense of like longing for him too. We still need him to. We're waiting for him to in all kinds of ways in our lives. A sense that we, that we need God to show up. And certainly there are times that we are more aware of that reality, that we're more aware of that need, of that desire, of that longing than, there, than other times in our lives. There's some times where we are acutely aware of that, that sense of like waiting for him to show up. But Advent is this whole picture. It's this whole picture that this season, these few weeks, and we actually, we kind of need the time to get into it and to reflect on it that much, right? That on the one hand, there's so much joy and excitement and anticipation. On the other hand, there's this sense of like deep need, deep longing, that sense of like waiting for God to do more, to come in and to, and to even wrestle with some of the questions and confusions that come from that, there's this, <laughs> there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I read years and years ago in a book that I can't even remember what the name of the book it was, and I've actually lost it, so I don't even have it. So I tried to find this quote, but I can't find it. But I, I, it was powerful to me at the time, so much so that I don't remember it word for word, but I remember the gist of it. So here's the gist of the quote, and I think it fits this. Here's what, here's what more or less, kind of, what C.S. Lewis said. He said this, Desire, when we are certain that it will be fulfilled, is in itself a wonderful experience. Isn't that true? When you know that the thing you're longing for, that you're wanting for, that you're waiting for, when you know it's going to come, that sense of desire, of anticipation, of excitement for, like that's a wonderful experience, right? But he says, however, if we are unsure when our desire might be met or whether it will be at all, then the experience of desire can in itself be torturous. And I think there's something <clears throat> that is so advent-like in a quote like that. It brings together both of these sides. Oh, this is wonderful that we have a God that is promising to show up in our lives. And yet at the same time, our human experience is filled with all of this sense of, mm, I want him to show up. I need him to show up. I'm waiting for him to show up. I think this is something that all of us can relate to. And I also know that this is something, this dynamic, this human experience is very much described and written about all over the pages of scripture. Um, this is certainly an experience that the people of God were going through at the time that Jesus was born. They had been waiting for centuries for God to show up. Melissa talked about this a little bit last week. He had shown up in powerful ways in the past, but at this time, at the time that Jesus was born, they hadn't seen or heard from God in like 400 years. There had just been this long, extended period of silence. And maybe that's, that's an experience you can relate to too. Maybe some of us in this room or others that we know, maybe, that <coughs> maybe this has been kind of not only an experience that, they've, that they can relate to, that you can relate to, this period of like long extended silence. For some, I know people in my own life that have actually walked away from their faith because of this experience. Because they were waiting for God to show up. They were asking, praying for God to show up in certain ways, but he didn't answer. All that they got back was silence. And so it can actually be something that draws people away from faith, away from God, when, when all they're left with is silence. And I think this is something that almost all of us can relate to in some way, right? 
<laughs> what I think is also cool is that this is something that is actually described in so many ways in different instances throughout the pages of Scripture. This was certainly an experience that the people of God were going through at the time when Jesus was born. This sense of like longing for God, waiting for God, needing God to show up. You know, Melissa talked about this briefly a little bit last week, right? She said that actually people had been waiting for centuries for God to show up. He had shown up in the past in some very powerful ways. This was part of their kind of collective story. But at the time that Jesus was born, they had not seen from God or heard from God in like 400 years. All they had gotten from him was silence. And maybe that's a dynamic that you can relate to too, right? Maybe you've been waiting for God to show up, but all you've gotten back was silence. I know there are people in my life, maybe this is part of your story, where maybe there's been a time where you've actually walked away from your faith because all you've gotten back is silence. Maybe there's been something that, you know, you, you needed God to show up in, but you didn't hear him. You didn't see him. And so what does that do? Like you were praying faithfully, but he never answered. And so for, for some, at least, that can actually cause us to just, you know, is it really even worth waiting? Is it time to just turn our backs and move on? This season of Advent is meant to tap into this dynamic in our lives. It's not meant to gloss over it. It's not meant to ignore it. It's actually meant to bring together, on the one hand, this sense of joy, anticipation, excitement, and the reality that God does and can and will show up. But alongside that, there's still this sense of like longing, need, waiting, and all the questions and confusions that come for that. So I don't know if that's tapped into anything in your own heart. But what I'd love for you to do is we're going to continue to build on these sticky notes and our banner wherever it is in the place that you are right now. And so if you've got one of those sticky notes in your hand, hopefully someone's given it to you as, you've, uh, as you came in this morning. Here's what I'd love for you to do. We're not going to put it up on the sides quite yet, but what I'd love for you to do is just um, take it, that sticky note, turn it backwards. So on the sticky side, just answer that question. What are you waiting for? Is there some way that you are just asking God, maybe it's a small way, maybe it's a big way, is there some way that you're asking, that you're waiting for him to show up? What's this tapped into you this morning in your life? Maybe that's a relationship. Maybe that's a physical need, a rela- a, a, an emotional need. Maybe it's a spiritual need. Maybe there's just a sense that you just haven't heard him speak. You don't feel connected to him. You feel like there's something in the way between you and God. Whatever it is, what are you waiting for? Just take a minute now. And write that down on the back of the sticky note. And then hold on to it. We're not going to do anything with it yet. Well, like I said, in terms of this whole dynamic of both the excitement and the anticipation and the joy that Christmas brings, but also this kind of nagging sense, you know, that never actually leaves our souls. I don't think it does anyways. Not if we're paying attention of like still the confusion, the questions that come when we're waiting for God to show up. What I love is that this dynamic is still 
like it's, it's, it's all over the place in the pages of scripture and it's even in the Christmas story itself. So I want to read to you one of the, the accounts that makes up part of the Christmas story. It's the story that is about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. So listen to it now. It's from um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5 to 25. Here's what it says. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Then the angel said to to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Friends, this is a story of a man, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth, who had been waiting for a long time for something that they had deeply desired but had been passed over. They had been passed over. Zechariah had been passed over. That was actually, you know, if we look carefully into the story, we can see that that dynamic of being passed over was kind of part of his experience in all kinds of ways. So here's one of the ways. Zechariah was, was passed over so many times as a priest in his career, in his vocation, in his day-to-day work. It says this in the account, right, that he was a Jewish priest. And that in, its, in and of itself was not a particularly kind of out-of-the-ordinary or extraordinary kind of role or calling. There were actually thousands of Jewish priests at the time. And so there was nothing really that made him um, kind of particularly special because of the fact that he was priest. But this particular day, it was a special day for him. It was a significant day. It says, the account says that he was chosen by lot. 
kind of a random selection process to take on the special role. For him, at least, it was a very special role. It meant that he was going to need to go into the, one of the inner courts of the temple and burn incense. Now, for a Jewish priest at the time, this would have been a huge privilege on this day for Zechariah to get to do this. It was, it was such a privilege, in fact, to be able to go into one of the inner courts, a place where not many people at all ever got to go except a select few. This is why, so it was such a privilege that once you were selected to do this as a priest, it meant that you would never be able to be selected to do it again. So that there would be space and like opportunity for other priests to get to have the same privilege again. But here's what it meant. We know Zechariah was already old by this time. He had been serving as a priest for likely much of his adult life, if not all of it. And this was the first time. This was the first time he was being selected or chosen to go in and to do this particular duty. It meant that time and time again, day in, day out, month in, year in, year out, when the opportunities came to be able to be selected, to kind of have this role of privilege, something that all of the priests no doubt would have been looking forward to. He was passed over time and time again. What's beautiful about this story, even in this short account, is it says it actually very explicitly. He and his wife were both still faithful. You know, whatever disappointments and ways that they had been passed over in their lives, they were still both faithful. The account says that they were righteous in the sight of God. They were observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I'm sure they had their ups and downs, right? But it, this is painting us a picture of really maybe a, a couple that had experienced their ups and downs, their disappointments along the way, but they still loved God. They still wanted to serve God. They were still doing their best for God. They, they, maybe they weren't doing anything out of the ordinary, extraordinary, but they were giving God their best, right? Which perhaps is what makes the next line in the account just sting that much more because it says they were childless, and they were both very old. And so Zechariah had not only been passed over all those years until this day as a priest, but now, right, we're seeing they had been passed over as parents. They had lived this long journey, these long years of expectation and hope and waiting and disappointment. And children were never a gift that they were able to have. They had prayed. No doubt they had prayed. In fact, we know they had prayed because the angel said when he spoke to Zechariah, God's heard your prayer. (laughs) They had prayed likely not just for days or months or years. They had likely prayed for decades. And that prayer was never answered. Never came through. They continued to wait. And what did they get? They got silence. Listen to how, I just think this is a beautiful description of what that experience might have been like for them. It's taken from Walter Wangren's Advent book called Preparing for Jesus. Listen to how he describes this moment. He says, who knows when Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed that prayer that the angel mentions. Surely it was long ago before they had grown old. The prayer was a plea to bear children, of course, so it must have begun soon after they had married. It must have grown more anguished as longer and longer grew the time when God did not answer it. But after a certain age, reality must have persuaded the childless couple to stop praying for the impossible. By now, they had probably forgotten the prayer itself. Surely they believed that its purpose was past and that the answer long, long ago had been no. 
So this is the disappointment, right? This was the longing and the pain of all those ans- unanswered prayers and Zechariah and Elizabeth's wife. It was real, friends. It was very real. And they, they, it was very much a lived reality for them. And it was for all kinds of reasons, partly because for them, children would have meant practical provision. There were no uh, pension plans or retirement savings plans or whatever back then. Your kids were your retirement plans. So that was the, the cultural, in a sense, expectation that when you got too old to take care of yourself, your children, who would have been old enough by that point, they would be the ones who would take care of you, uh, 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 like take care of you for you. Uh, you would help them, grow them, train them in the family craft or trade. And then when you were old en- or when they were old enough, they would be the ones who would take over the business and who would care for you when you got too old. Children meant social acceptance in this culture. In this time, in this place, it wasn't like, well, yeah, some people want kids, other people don't, whatever, whatever works for you. It wasn't like that. Children were the cultural norm. This was in a very real way a societal expectation that if you were a respectable family, you would have children. And so in a sense, in a very real sense, they were kind of a symbol of status, a symbol of dignity, of respect, of honor within the communities. An honorable family, a good family would have children, which meant that if you didn't have children, the opposite was implied. Why wouldn't you have children? What's going on? Is there a, a reason for that? And so no doubt over the years, both Zechariah and Elizabeth had experienced some of the whispers that may have taken place around them as they walked down the street, as they were together with their family, as they were talking to those that they knew well and maybe those that didn't know well. Maybe there were elements of like whispers of pity, like, oh, poor Zechariah and Elizabeth. Oh, too bad for them. You know, oh, if only they could. Maybe at times whispers of just flat out judgment. Can you believe it? They don't even have kids. They would have experienced some of these things because children were very much a sense of like, they gave a sense of social acceptance. Not only that, there wasn't a social dynamic. There wasn't only a social dynamic to kids. There was a spiritual dynamic to kids in this time and culture. There was a sense that, that couples who had many kids were blessed by God. They were blessed. God poured out his blessing by giving you children. Which again meant that if you didn't have children, there was probably a reason for it. That would have been kind of the cultural thinking. If you don't have, what have you done then that God hasn't poured out his blessing? There was a sense of like spiritual blessing that came along with children that was not then part of Zechariah and Elizabeth's experience. And then, of course, children would have meant personal joy for them, right? Practical provision, social acceptance, spiritual blessing, but also just personal joy. This, was a, this would have been for any normal couple in this time and place, just would have been just a longing to have kids, right? Just as it is for many of us. Um, would have been something they wanted, something they wanted as part of their lives. And certainly we know in the account, it would have been uh, a gift that they would have been praying for for many years that this would be part of their life story, their life journey. And so all of this together would have very likely meant this kind of like ongoing, pervading sense of disappointment that Elizabeth and Zechariah would have woken up to every single morning. Every time they set the breakfast table or the dinner table for two, it would have been another reminder. Every time they went for a walk and saw busy parents down the street trying to keep their kids from running on the road would have been one more reminder. 
Every time they got together with their family or their extended family and saw their nieces and nephews, and probably by this point they were seeing now their great nieces and their great nephews who were continuing to have the next generation of children, that would have been another reminder. And every time they thought about the future, like, are we going to get to a point when we're not going to be able to care for ourselves? What are we going to do then? That would have been one more reminder. And so, friends, the pain of the disappointment in all of this would have been very real for Zechariah and for Elizabeth. And so what was the result of all of this? What did all of this mean? Because it doesn't seem, not at least from this account, it doesn't seem like Zechariah lost his faith. Like I said, he still carried on his priestly duties very faithfully. It seems that he and Elizabeth were still seeking to be faithful and following God. It describes them as righteous people, blameless people. That's beautiful. So it doesn't seem like Zechariah lost his faith, which certainly can happen for many of us when it feels like God's nowhere to be seen in the picture. But it probably is fair to say that Zechariah's faith lost something. <laughs> lost something, right? It's probably fair to say that, yeah, he still believed, but maybe he didn't believe in the same way that he first believed when he first became a priest. Maybe he didn't believe in the same way that he did when he was first married to Elizabeth. Something in his faith had died. And it was like this sense of like Elizabeth's barrenness was now kind of something that was engulfing Zechariah as well. He was kind of like barren of the same hope and expectation that maybe he had had in his younger years. His desires had become dulled by his disappointments. His desires had become dulled by his disappointments. And here's why I say that, because we can see it in his encounter with the angel. Here's what happens. He's going about, yes, he gets this privilege opportunity, right, to go in and to burn incense in the inner court. There's no one else there. But then all of a sudden, not just anyone else, but an angel, all blinding light, appears out of nowhere. This, like, powerful, blinding white experience of an angel. And... The angel starts speaking to him and says, Zechariah, you know that desire that you've had? That desire that you thought was dead, that you've been waiting for all these years, maybe so long that you've even stopped waiting? Well, you know what? That desire is not dead. You're going to have a son. He comes in and he says, it's not just going to be any son either. He's not going to be an ordinary son. He's not going to follow in your kind of ordinary footsteps. No, he is going to be an extraordinary person and he's going to play a huge plan or a huge role in God's plan for the entire world. He said all these incredible things about what his son was going to do. He said he's going to have a powerful connection to God himself. He's going to be filled with the spirit from his womb. These are all the things that we just read a moment ago. He said he's going to bring many people who've become dull to God's work, kind of like what you've become. He's going to bring people back into this vibrant awareness of God. He said that he's going to be the fulfillment of centuries worth of promises that God's given and that he's going to be the forerunner, the one that prepares the way for God's ultimate promise that he himself would show up. And this is a promise that all of the people have been waiting, Zechariah, far longer for than you and Elizabeth have been waiting for a child. Friends, this wasn't just the news that Zechariah and his wife had been waiting to hear. This was way bigger news that the angel was saying to him in this moment. This was news that all of God's people had been waiting to hear. Not just for 30 years or 50 years or 60 years. This was news that they had been waiting to to hear for centuries. And the angel is coming to Zechariah in this moment and saying, it's all going to happen all of it 
And here's the thing. This is why I just said everything that I just said before this. Zechariah couldn't hear it. He was totally deaf to the angel's words. It's like, as soon as the angel said, Zechariah, you're going to have a son, boom, he blanked out. He couldn't hear any of it. Uh, essentially what he said to the angel was, I'm old, so is Elizabeth, our time has passed. That was kind of the narrative, that the script that had been running for so long through Zechariah's experience that he experienced everything through it. And that's why his response was what it was to the angel when he spoke back. What were his words? His words were, how can I know this for sure? And we can tell, based, primarily based on the angel's reply to these words, we don't have tone. So maybe if, th- if that's all we had, we wouldn't know exactly how Zechariah was saying it. But because of how the angel replied, we know there was probably some bite to that response. Yeah, how can I know? This probably wasn't a question full of like wonder or awe. Like when, when the angel showed up to Mary, she's like, wow, how can this be? Right? She was like, whoa. And that was a question full of wonder, full of faith, full of awe. This wasn't like this for Zechariah. This was a question full of bite of attitude (laughs) this was more like a challenge this was like yeah according to who (laughs) like prove it how can i know this and we heard the story and so the uh, the angel hears zechariah's challenge says all right you want proof here's your proof buddy since you want to talk back so badly you're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months you're going to be like that you're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months and boom just like that zechariah who was deaf to God's words in that moment became mute for the next nine months. So before we go any further in the story, let's let's just take a minute right here. Let's just take a minute and pause and see where we may or may not be able to locate ourselves in the story up to this point. Because I would say it's it's probably fair to say that most of us in this room have not necessarily had an angel show up and, and give some kind of powerful announcement to us at, at any point in our lives. Most of us, and if you have, I want to talk to you, man. I want to hear about it. Most of us have probably not had that kind of encounter, that kind of powerful encounter with an angelic being or a supernatural being. But <clears throat> I would bet that there are many of us in this room who've prayed for God to show up in a powerful way, who've prayed, to show, who've prayed for God to show up in a miraculous way, I would guess that there are many of us in this room who have at least had a season in our lives where we've been waiting for God to show up, where we've been longing for him to show up, where we've been asking him to do miracles, where we've all had, I I would say probably most of us have had at least at some point a something that we've been praying for God to do. We can relate to these desires, this sense of need, to this sense of longing, maybe even this sense of like a deadened expectation because it just hasn't been answered. Some of us have been waiting for so long that we've just stopped waiting and there's something in our own souls that have become dulled to the possibilities that God could show up in those areas of our lives. And there's all kinds of ways that we can locate ourselves in this story. And it's probably, it's probably important for me to say at this point that sometimes the answer to our prayers is no, Right? God is not obligated to answer every single one of our prayers with a yes. Sometimes we do need to stop waiting for a yes. Sometimes we do need to allow God to close certain doors in our life journeys and lead us in different ways. Sometimes we do need to learn to be open to it. And that in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. 
it might be a difficult thing at times, but it is part of our, of our life with God. At times, the answer to our prayers is no. But here's the danger in doing that. And it is a very real danger, friends. And it is one that Zechariah fell prey to. That our disappointed desires can make us, if we're not careful, can make us deaf to God's far bigger desires. Our disappointed desires, if we're not careful, can make us deaf to God's far bigger desires. This is exactly what happened to Zechariah. And in a sense, I think that like, as we look over this story, you know, as, I'm, as I've been reflecting on it, I'm like, I don't think there's a whole lot in this story, in this passage, that's meant to be instructive for us. It's not like, oh, do like Zechariah did, right? It's not like, oh, follow that example. No, it's not actually a particularly great example. To, I think, if anything, this story is more a warning. It's a warning. It's like saying, don't let your disappointed desires make you deaf to God because that's what the angel was telling him. Not just that he was going to get the thing that he had been waiting for. No, he was telling him actually a much bigger message. He's saying, no, the thing that everyone's been waiting for and for far longer than you've been waiting, this much bigger thing, that's going to come too. And Zechariah could hear none of it. Because he had allowed, in a very real sense, all of the disappointments of being passed over in his life, particularly as a parent. He had allowed that to kind of fill the air that he breathed. So the voice of God couldn't get through. He couldn't hear anything that God was saying so that he couldn't see anything that God was doing. It was like the lens through which he experienced all of life. All of life. And when God showed up to him in that moment, he missed it. He missed it. Now, what I think is so cool about this story is that it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with that. I mean, it could. It could leave us hanging. Sometimes there are stories in scripture and stories in our own lives that kind of do leave us hanging in there. Sometimes we need that, but this one doesn't leave us there. I think what's so cool in this story is that as it goes on, and as we see the description of the rest of Zechariah and Elizabeth's experience, we see that Zechariah's punishment of you know, being made mute until the baby was born, it also turned out to be this really beautiful and merciful gift. <laughs> Because it gave him time. It gave him time to wait a little longer. Sometimes waiting can be a gift. Gave him time to see some of the changes beginning to take place in his own wife, to see her belly get a little bit bigger and bigger and grow as the baby grew inside of her. But it also, because Zechariah was kept from speaking, it gave him the opportunity then to listen again to those words from the angel. And it was almost like the angel was forcing him to have to reflect and think and dwell on the words of those much bigger desires, those much bigger promises that he was telling Zechariah when he first spoke to him. And it was like Zechariah had all nine months to just dwell on those realities. These were things that the angel was promising that weren't just for him, but that were for everyone. They were far bigger. And when the baby was born then, and when Zechariah did open his mouth, you know what came out of his mouth? You know what the first thing that came out of his mouth was? I think this is so cool. It was a song. He sang a song. He went from this long period of silence to bursting out in singing. Because something in his heart had changed. It says Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied and he did it in the form of this song. And listen to just some of the things 
that, are, uh, that he sang a little later on in Luke chapter one. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people, right? This is how he starts off this beautiful song. He said, God has shown up. That's what's happened here. It's what's happening. God's showing up. Let's not miss it. Now he doesn't want anyone to miss it. He couldn't see it before. Now he doesn't want anyone to miss it. He says he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just like he said through his prophets of long ago. He's saying all of those things that we've been waiting for, all of those promises that God has been making to us over the years, over the decades, over the centuries, they're all coming to fulfillment now. The things that we've been hoping for for so long, he's fulfilling all of them. He says to give Give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. I love that. Even through this experience of being made mute for nine months, what does he call that? He's like, ah, I'm experiencing the tender mercy of God. Why? Because he's coming to give us salvation. He's coming to forgive sin. That's what he's doing in all of this. Zechariah's seeing it now. He says, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah's now like shouting out all of this stuff that God's doing, all of these things that the angel was saying to him and he's had time to mull on for the last nine months. He's come to shine light in our darkness and I know what that means. I've experienced this for years, right? He's coming to lead us from places of death to places of life. He's coming to bring us peace. I love this. It's like when he first heard the angel speak, he, all he could think, all he could see were his disappointments. But now after nine months, his mind and his heart are full with the bigger desires of God. And one of the things I think that is so cool about this whole song, you can read it in full. It's in the latter part of Luke chapter one. But all of this song, there's actually very little to do with the desire that he and Elizabeth had for a child. There's very little to do with that. He does mention this child, but actually everything even he talks about his child, John, that had just been born, born, now is totally caught up. It's like a piece in this much bigger picture, this far bigger desire that God had for the whole world and now was including him in was inviting John in, was saying, now this isn't just a bigger desire I want for you, but I'm including you in it. His song is full, what I love about it, these are all Advent things, these are all Christmas things that Zechariah was talking about. That things, these are things that happen when God shows up. He brings salvation, forgiveness of sin, he shines light into our darkness, he leads us from death to life, he brings peace. These are all the things that come into our life when Jesus comes into our life, which, which means we know they've happened because Jesus has come into the world and we know these things are continuing to happen because Jesus keeps doing all of these things. And this is, the, in a very real way, this is like the much bigger desire that Zechariah's small, not insignificant, not meaningless desires, very real desires are meant to get caught up into. That God's actually wanting to show up in our desires and bring our desires into his much bigger desires for the world. One of the things I love about this is it doesn't mean we need to take our desires and set them aside. It doesn't mean our desires, it doesn't mean Zechariah's desires were meaningless, were pointless, were too small or unimportant. No. It's, a, it's this whole other invitation. He's actually dignifying our desires by inviting them to be caught up into his much bigger desires for the world. And then what that means is that we get to be a part of it, just like Zechariah did, just like John did. They got to be a part of this incredible story 
of God showing up into the world and doing things that only he can do. I love that. We're meant to learn uh, that dynamic. We're meant to learn how to, in a sense, offer up our desires to God and invite him to catch us into his bigger desires. And I'm going to be really honest with you in that. (laughs) I don't know how to make that happen in my life. I don't know how to make that happen in my own heart. I don't know how to make my desires any different than they are. Oftentimes, I can often feel stuck in them. I can't change my heart, God. I think this is something that, just like in this story, I think this is something that only God can do. I think it's something that God needs to do. I think it's actually one of the miracles in this story. Not just that Elizabeth and Zechariah were able to have a child, not just all the things that unfolded from that. I think one of the miracles in this story is that God changed Zechariah's heart. He did this incredible miracle, made him go mute for nine months, but in that process, he did this miracle transforming his heart. And I, I can't do that on my own. That's something that I think I need to learn to pray for God to do that more in my own life. Because that's something I can do. I can't change my heart always, but God can. He can do all kinds of things in us and around us. He can show up like that, right? Maybe that's a prayer that you and I need to learn to pray a little more often. That when we bring the longings, the needs, the desires, the things that we're waiting for, Maybe just a simple prayer we can kind of add on top of those things is, God, would you do more than what I'm waiting for? Would you do more than what I'm waiting for? Would you change my heart so that I don't want just just the things that I want, but I want the things that you want. I want those big, and I want to be a part of those things. I want to be a part of you showing up and bringing salvation and forgiveness and light and peace and hope in the people's lives that I love and the people's lives that I don't even know yet, but maybe you, you want to know these things, right? Would you do more than what I'm waiting for? So here's what I want you to do. Earlier in this message, you took that sticky note and you wrote on the back side of it, hopefully on the sticky side. Now I want to flip it over. And I just want you to write that prayer as kind of an invitation for God. God, would you do more than what I'm waiting for? Would you do more than what I'm waiting for? And even as you write that, there might be some specifics that you want to add into that. You can feel free to write those on on the sticky note itself. You don't have to. You can just pray those prayers up to God. And in a moment, we're going to come, or the band is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in this song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which is actually a prayer for this very thing. It is a prayer crying out for Jesus to come. We've been expecting you, waiting for you for a long time, Jesus, to come and do the thing, to show up, to do the things that only you can do. And so it's this prayer that can actually be like, um, give you words to make this a, a, a genuine heart prayer. That Jesus, you would come and you would bring the things that only you can bring into this world as you show up. Would you do more than what I'm waiting for? And so as the band begins to lead us in the song, you can take your sticky notes now and bring them up and put them on the banner wherever you are. God bless you.